Can you hear me? All right. That was wonderful. I know I can speak on behalf of Scott as well. We love to preach, but we love to preach to people who are hungry for the Word of God. And uh, I've had so many conversations with so many of you uh, discussing the things of the Lord, and not minor things, not small things, not trivial things, but things that pertain to the Godhead, things about our Lord Jesus Christ. And I get really encouraged by that, and so thank you very much for being attentive and eager Bible students. Well, just a little bit of review. I, I like to review the sermons that I've already preached in a conference. So, so the first time I preached, it was the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and assurance. And if I had to summarize it, it would be that with that Luther quote, if we look to ourselves, we don't know how we could be saved. But if we look to the Lord Jesus Christ, we as Christians don't know how, how we could be lost. Then yesterday we looked at the eternal decree in the Holy Spirit. And remember that John Murray book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied? That would be a good book for you to get. But if I wanted to explain my message yesterday, it would be redemption, planned, accomplished, and applied. When was the plan of salvation? And in a mind-boggling way, it was in eternity past when God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit planned to rescue sinners because he not only loved himself, but he loved sinners. And now we come to the third message, the sovereignty of God, the Holy Spirit, and regeneration. Or maybe you want to put it, the Holy Spirit and sovereign regeneration. If I ask you the question, how do people come to Christ, I wonder what you would say. When you evangelize, how and why does anyone become a Christian? Now, of course, from the human perspective, there's the non-meritorious instrument of faith people believe. But what about from the divine side? That's a good way to solve theological problems. Human perspective, divine perspective. So from the divine side, how does anyone become saved? Let me give you a list, and which one of these is right? I came by myself. That's how I got saved. I wanted to come, and God helped me. God gave me sufficient grace to come because Christ died and I cooperated. God brought me and I did not resist. Or, God brought me to Christ. Which one of those is true? Well, we know the last one is true because salvation is all of the Lord. I'd like to have you turn your Bibles to John chapter 3, and we're looking at the only hope in gospel ministry, and that is the sovereign regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You see, my friends, people can't save themselves. They're enslaved to sin. Uh, they're deceived by Satan. He's masquerading as an angel of light, and, and they're completely captive. Their eyes are blind, their hearts are calloused, and how can they save themselves? How can they extract themselves from their own sin? And we're going to look at John chapter 3 now. A year and a half ago when I was in Fenton Park, I looked at John 3 a little bit with the dear people there. But we were focusing more on belief. And so tonight I'm going to focus on sovereign regeneration. So by the way, if you were here, many of you were uh, a year and a half ago, or I was there, um, please still listen because it's kind of a different message, all right? Some of the stuff might be the same, but a different emphasis. No one can save themselves without the sovereign regeneration of the Holy Spirit. The standards are too high. God is too perfect. Listen to what Romans 2 says. He will render to each one according to his works. 
to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, He will give eternal life. I mean, if you could perfectly do that, God would have no reason to keep you out of heaven. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. And listen, congregation, Romans 2.13 is a tidal wave of truth. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. If you're able to do the law, God will justify you. But because of Adam's sin, it is impossible for us to do that. So how can we get to heaven? And the only answer is by the sovereign, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. What's a good definition of regeneration, you might ask? J.I. Packer defines regeneration this way. The new birth is an inner recreating of fallen human nature by the Holy Spirit. It is done by God, and we are recipients of it, and it is passive for us. He, the Holy Spirit, is acting, and we are receiving the work of the Holy Spirit. We are in totally uh, we, 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 are, we are totally passive in this. So here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to look at John chapter 3. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and try to find the answers in John 3 itself about sovereign regeneration. Question number one, who needs sovereign regeneration by the Holy Spirit? And the answer is going to be both the unrighteous and the self-righteous. Now, as we dive into John chapter 3, we know that the book of John is written so that you might believe Right, John chapter 20, verse 31, and by believing you may have life in His name. And everything about this book is designed for you to think well of and properly of the Lord Jesus Christ and how great He is. He's the bread of, the light, bread of life. He's the light of the world. He's the door. He's the good shepherd. He's the resurrection and life. He's the way, the truth, and life. And He is the vine. Everything is designed for you to watch Jesus and say there's no one like Him. And He's not just an example but he is a substitute. He's just not a teacher, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To get a good view and a good look on the Lord Jesus Christ, for you to be impressed with him. Mark talks about, and his fame increased. And that's when I read this gospel, I think the fame of Jesus, Lord, I want to increase in my heart my admiration for you and my trust in you and my obedience that comes from that faith. Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Pharisees were not liberals, they were conservatives. If I could pick a, a few words to describe Pharisees, they might be words like fastidious. They might be words like strict. These people wanted to obey the law. They weren't these theological liberals. They were strict Pharisees who, who wanted to make sure they did everything right. And this man, Nicodemus, his name means victor over the people, right? Some of you wear Nike shoes. 
Uh, that's where we get his name. And, and he was a strong man even by name. And not only was he a Pharisee, but what does the text say? A ruler of the Jews. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was like in the Supreme Court of, of, of Israel. I mean, if anybody could get to heaven, I mean, this guy has load seats. This guy has orchestra seats to get into heaven simply by being a Pharisee. I mean, they're responsible for religious decisions. He, he, he tithes. He does all kinds of things. And it's very, very interesting. As I come to this passage, I have to remember that the gospel of the sovereign regeneration of the Spirit is not just for the unrighteous, although that's true. It's for the self-righteous. People that don't even think they need salvation. That's amazing to me. Self-righteousness tends to inoculate people. Remember what John Gershner said, R.C. Sproul's mentor? The main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. I mean, these people don't see their needs as often as they should for Jesus because their life is pretty good. By the way, I just was talking to someone earlier don't ever preach the gospel to people and say, if you come to Jesus, you're going to have a great marriage and everything's going to go well with you. Because frankly, I know people who are unbelievers that have better marriages than I do, it seems, who are healthier than I am, who have more money than I do. What can I offer them? People are really self-righteous and clean, and what do they have need of? The problem with this Pharisee, though, he didn't see himself like the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. His greatest enemy was his self-righteous spirit, and he wants to talk to Jesus. He comes at night. I'm sure he would say, I am a sinner, but he's not as bad as other sinners. Spurgeon said, I say I have no need of salvation by the blood and righteousness of another. That's what a self-righteous person does, because I can do all the smells and bells and, and tithing and, and everything else. By the way, isn't this fascinating? What does he say in verse 2? Rabbi, we know you've come from Satan as a blasphemer. No, he gets it. Rabbi, teacher, you've come from God. You do signs. I, I'm sure he's understood what happened in John chapter 2 with the wine from water. He's a teacher. And this man needs sovereign regeneration. Verse 3, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Uh, the issue isn't religion. The issue is you need a new nature. You need to be born again. Nothing less than new life from God. I'm just not some religious teacher. You need to be born again. You need to see me as your Savior, not another religious teacher who's going to talk to you at night. In one sentence, Jesus just destroys everything this man stands for, essentially. He answered Nicodemus. I don't think Nicodemus really had a question, do you? But Jesus knows that this man has a question in his heart, and he answers him three, the th third chapter of John, verse 3, Whitfield preached 2,000 times. That's pretty amazing. I don't think, I, I think, Scott, have you preached 2,000 sermons in your life? I haven't even preached 2,000 in my life. Whitfield preached this passage 2,000 times and asked why he preached on this new birth 2,000 times. His answer was what? Because you must be born again. That's why. 
to even see the kingdom. What's he mean by that? To experience resurrection life, to experience eternal life, to be with God. He's saying to Nicodemus, you need a new you. Now, how does that happen? How can you get a new you? Okay, on the count of three, everybody make themselves a new you. Ready? Go. One, two, three. I might have shared this with Fenton Park years ago. I got married in 1989. My wife is a new Christian. I wasn't a Christian. I got mad at her for stupid reasons. And uh, we have some furniture stores in America that come from, from overseas. And, and the good news is they're cheap and you can put them together pretty easily. The bad news is when you're an immature idiot like I was, and I got mad at Kim and I slammed it on the ground and it went into 14 pieces, um, there's problems. Kim looked at me with a look I've never seen before. And if I had to rethink that whole scenario, you know, if you have anger, man, anger problems, you, you go get anger management maybe. Maybe you do that. But what if you're the problem? How do you get a new you? How can you make yourself new? How can you be regenerated? How can you give yourself new life? And Nicodemus comes. He's a religious person. If anybody could get to heaven by religion and circumcision and catechism and anything else, it's this man. And he says, no, that's not enough. You need a new you. I mean, okay, what's the response? I need a new you. I need a new me. How am I going to respond? Self-righteous people and unrighteous people need to be born again. Question number two. Can sovereign regeneration be understood without God, the Spirit's illumination? I mean, can you just kind of figure it out on your own? I mean, we could look at the grammar and the words, but can we figure it out on our own? Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter into the second time into his mother's womb and be born. Can he? I mean, he, he can't get it. What I was taught is we have AM and FM radio. You have that AM and FM radio here? Right? We already told the speakers whenever you go to international speaking, don't say, well, we have something like this here. Do you have it here? But I just say it anyway. It's like God is broadcasting on FM, and we have AM receivers that are broken. We can't think. We can't figure it out. Because these are spiritual truths written by the Spirit. And how can we just come to them fleshly without being a new you and then figuring it out? I think Nicodemus can't figure it out. He's incredulous. How can this happen? Remember R.C. Sproul when he preached the cross, the guy in his audience said that's primitive and obscene. And R.C., like only R.C. could do, is say, excuse me, could you repeat that a little louder so the entire class could hear that? Yes, the cross of Jesus is primitive and obscene. And R.C. Sproul said, that's exactly right. I like your choice of words. It's primitive and obscene. How can we, we look at the cross of Christ with eyes that are not illumined and see anything but a, an embarrassing, shameful, repre, reprehensible death on a cross? I mean, he can't even save himself. How can he save others? I mean, you want to have victory in Jesus? Well, when I look at the cross as an unbeliever, it is a disastrous defeat. You can't understand this truth without the Holy Spirit. Question three, why is sovereign regeneration by the Holy Spirit needed to get to heaven? I mean, everyone needs it, self-righteous and unrighteous. And you can't understand it unless God's working in your mind. 
And why is sovereign regeneration needed? Verse 5, truly, truly, Jesus answered, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't get to heaven by, ready for some big words, we'll just try to keep you awake. Autosoterism won't work. It's kind of fun to say, isn't it? Self, auto, soterism, salvation. Autosoterism won't work. Self-salvation won't work. By the way, there are certain words in Christianity I just love to say. I love to say propitiation. Now they just sound good, propitiation. But what it means is even better than how it sounds. I love to say things like sacerdotal. That's not a good thing, but I love to say it. And I love to say autosoterism. You can't save yourself. The absolute necessity for the regenerating, the regenerating operation of the Holy Spirit is needed. Without Christ, it's impossible. Without the Spirit, it's impossible. The elect have been determined in eternity past. Jesus has died for them. And how do they become alive on their own? They can't without this sovereign regeneration. Internal cleansing is needed. Supernatural cleansing is needed. How would Nicodemus understand this? Do you see that in verse 5 again? Unless one is born of water and spirit. I mean, he's the teacher of Israel. And here's exactly how we understand it. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 36. I will sprinkle clean water on you and I will make you clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. You need internal cleansing. Nicodemus, you can do all the externals. You get it all right. And whether it's self-righteousness or just trying to be legalistic, you need a new you from the inside that the Old Testament talked about to enter the kingdom. You can't save yourself. Verse 6 that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Steel factories. What do they make in steel factories, by the way? It's not a trick question. Sometimes I try to trick you. They make steel. What do they make in cotton ball factories? Cotton. But they don't make cotton balls in steel factories. They just don't produce those things. I have a question for you. Can the Ethiopian change his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Can those who do good, those who are accustomed to doing evil? No. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself alive. And by the way, Jesus knew what was in this man's heart. Check out chapter 2. I love the bridges between one chapter and the next. In one sense, I wish we never had chapter breaks because it messes up a lot. And it might just mess this up if you don't miss it. If you don't catch it, rather, and miss it. Chapter 2, verse 23. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself emphatically knew what was in a man. Chapter 3, verse 1, now there was a man. Did you catch that? He knows what's in man. And chapter 3, now there was a man. He knows in Nicodemus there's no good thing in him and he needs to be saved, but he can't save himself. 
We talked about this at the Q&A. Scott and I did about free will. And people say, well, I've got kind of free will and everything else. Nicodemus's will was enslaved to sin, Romans 6. Nicodemus's will was enslaved by Satan, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Nicodemus could not extract himself from that. Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol wrote, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. The only thing that free will does is it's free to sin and to sin and to sin and to sin. And if you really think free will means that God is not allowed to sovereignly regenerate, I'd ask you to think again. Does God have permission to turn the king's heart whatsoever way he wishes? Is this some kind of thing that God can't touch? Well, friends, if He can't touch it, nobody is going to get saved. By the way, how is this related to evangelism? The hope for your evangelism is not found in you, the preacher, the evangelist. And the hope for evangelism isn't found in the person. The hope for evangelism is found in the sovereign spirit who cleanses from the inside through preaching. That's why, even as I said earlier uh, this week, it seems like it's been a long conference, yes? I've loved the conference, but nine days ago when I was preaching to you about such and such, uh, if you go to somebody in hell, if it was theoretically possible, and you said, I know you've been suffering, Judas, you've been suffering for, for centuries, Here's the gospel. Trust in the Lord Jesus. He dies for sinners. He lived a perfect life. He's virgin born. He was raised from the dead. He was exalted. He's coming back. Trust in Him and you can go to heaven. Would Judas believe? Judas is no masochist, but he would not believe. Why? Because he doesn't have it in him. He can't make himself believe. He can't give himself new life. You need someone else. You need the Spirit of God to come and save and open hearts. Question number four, and now we're building to where we need to get. Why is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit's sovereign regeneration difficult to swallow? It's hard to take. Chapter 3, verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you. Now, plurals are important here. Do not marvel that I said to you, singular Nicodemus, ye, plural, must be born again. He moves from singular to plural because all the rest of the Sanhedrin, all the rest of the Pharisees, all the rest of Israel's nation must be born again. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Are you the teacher of Israel? Definite article, the teacher of teachers. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? I mean, it's not anything new. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness of that which we have seen and you, plural, do not receive our witness. And if I told you, plural, earthly things, and you, plural, do not believe, how shall you, plural, believe if I tell you, plural, heavenly things? I mean, you don't get it, Nicodemus, and the nation doesn't get it. Verse 13, and no one has ascended into heaven, including Burpo and everybody else who writes books about it, but he who descended from heaven, even the Son of Man. I want to ask the question again, why is sovereign regeneration a hard doctrine? I'll give you the main reason. It goes against our pride. We are prideful people. Of course the world doesn't like it. Of course the world hates it. 
But we are prideful people that we cannot save ourselves. And if we're going to get to heaven, it has to be by the pleasure of God, by the goodness of God, by His work, by the Father, Son, and Spirit, because we have to be recipients of grace and we can't earn anything. I hope this next quote shocks you by John Owen. As among all the doctrines of the gospel, there is none opposed with more violence. I mean, John Owen's a fighter, and he's a theological, polemical, wonderful writer, and all the things he fought against. What's the thing at the top of the list? There is none opposed with more violence and subtlety than that concerning our regeneration by the immediate, powerful, effectual operation of the Holy Spirit of grace. Out of everything he fights against, People don't want to say, I had nothing to do with my salvation except contribute to sin. And God is the one who saved. God and God alone. Friends, admit it with me. We love sovereignty in ourselves. We love sovereignty. And by the way, one of the reasons we love sovereignty is because we're image bearers. I mean, I've met a few people that have had arranged marriages, but most of us have what we call love marriages, and, and I chose my wife, and I choose what I like to eat, and I choose what I like to do, and I like to bicycle, and I like to do this, and I like that, and I like these sport teams. I love to choose, and I think I love to choose because I'm an image bearer of God, and so what I love in myself, the ability to choose, I will not let God choose, that would be wrong. What we love in ourselves, sadly, we don't love in God. That we didn't contribute anything to our salvation. It's hard to take. Question five. I've been leading up to this. This is the issue. Can the regenerating ministry of the Holy Spirit be described as anything less than sovereign? All right, are you ready? Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. There's a little word play in the Greek. Pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A. Pneuma, like pneumatology, study of the Spirit. It means wind or it means spirit. It could mean either one. And you see the little word play here? Do you see the comparison? Wind is sovereign, it does what it wants. Wind goes where it wishes. Wind, we don't know where it comes from. Wind is mysterious. Wind is invisible. Wind can't be started by us. Wind can't be uh, halted by us. We don't control wind. And if we can't control wind, we can't control the Spirit either because the Spirit, He does what He wishes. He's sovereign. We don't know where he comes from in terms of his actions. We can only see the results. The tie-in there, if you can think about wind, you can understand the Spirit of God. This mysterious, invisible, sovereign comparison. The Holy Spirit, he is sovereign. The Holy Spirit, he is mysterious in his actions. And man controls neither. Does man control the wind? You say, well, we can kind of funnel it over here. That's not my question. Does man control wind? Jesus wants to drive home the sovereignty and the freedom of the Spirit of God. I mean, we can't even make the wind blow, let alone change direction of it. Friends, we cannot control the wind. Therefore, the new birth is not dependent on our will. It is not dependent on our decision. 
The wind is irresistible and not subject to our will. So the Spirit of God. God is active, man is passive. Something has to be done to us. And by the way, when you pray, don't you pray this way for other people to get saved? How do you pray? Regeneration can be only described three ways. Monergistically, mono, alone, erg, work, God alone. Synergistically, S-Y-N, God and man together. And man alone, man regenerates himself. I think most of us say he can't regenerate himself, but some might be flickering between, does God do all the work or does God work with me? I know this might sound dumb, but when you get to heaven, will you high-five God and say we did it? Fist bump God, you and me together, we did it. I'm not saying anything about faith right now. We're talking about regeneration because this has to come first. The the dead man can't say, well, I think I'm going to believe. No, the dead man is made alive and he will respond with and always respond with faith. But we're talking about regeneration. What comes first? If you think faith comes first, then faith is a work that then allows regeneration and you deny the sovereign working spirit who's mysterious and irrevocable. By the way, monergism is proved in John 3.8. Do you see it? So it is with everyone born of the Spirit cooperating with man. No, born of the Spirit. That is called monergism. True or false? God opened Lydia's heart with her permission. No, he opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. God regenerates at his own sovereign choice. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That's Romans 9.15. You say, well, Romans isn't about individuals, it's about nations. If you ever hear that, you just think to yourself, that's the biggest canard I've ever heard in my life, because nations are full of what? People, but just a lot of them. That doesn't get you off the hook. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Can you ever, dear Christian, ascribe your regeneration to yourself? Of course not. You'd say God is the author of that. There's only two systems of truth on this. One is we move toward God by ourselves or with some cooperation. The other is God has to do it. Not by works of righteousness, what we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration has to come first. And you see it in John 3, verse 8, regeneration, verse 15, faith. I could ask you a question this way. Uh, We could get maybe a microphone. We'll try to keep you awake a little bit and... Sometimes I do radio, so this would be like a radio help to keep you awake. You ever do something like this, Scott? Okay. I could have the microphone, and this is open for people who would come up and uh, explain to me how you came to Jesus Christ without the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm being kind of dumb. Oh, you said you're being really dumb. (laughs) But we know it can't be true because we recognize, like Jonah said, salvation is of the Lord. You don't bring about new birth by faith. 
The Holy Spirit creates a new heart in you and you respond with faith. Listen to John 1. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of what? God. It's all of God. Who regenerates? God does. James chapter 1. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. He's the one who chose to give us new birth. Something done to us, not by us. I said it earlier, but I want to say it again. This is the hope for evangelism. Not how smart I am, not my rationalization, not that I've got the kingdoms of the cults all memorized, not that I know what to do, how to do it, but you know what? Like Spurgeon said, I hope that my master will lay hold some of them and say, you are mine and you shall be mine. I claim you for myself. My hope arises from the freeness of grace and not from the freedom of the will. You say, well, I, I'm really not a very good evangelist. I, I try to tell people about Jesus, but you know, they, they say things and I, I just kind of stutter and I'm not sure. Do you know the Lord God took 11 men, I mean 11 men, and He turned the world upside down with 11 losers? I mean, think about it. The apostles. It was 11 men against the world. This, this bunch of nobodies. And they had the message, though, because they had the person and work of the Holy Spirit. I love this because when it comes to evangelism, my job's simple. Super simple. Let's talk about sin and the Savior. Let's talk about guilt, grace, and gratitude. Let's talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and your need for Him. Let's talk about Jesus had to die for sinners because you couldn't save yourself. Let's keep the focus there. My job is to sow the Word. I mean, can you imagine J.C. Ryle got saved? Did you know this, Scott? He got saved when he was seated in a congregation and he listened to Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, read from the pulpit, no sermon, just the power of the Word of God. So when you want to evangelize and you're trusting in the sovereign spirit, here's how you evangelize. Well, there's a lot of things I don't know, but the Bible says. But the Bible says. I mean, what if you believe Charles Finney who taught in a sermon entitled Sinners Bound to Change Their Own Heart? How would you like to evangelize with that theology? I pray like you pray, dear Christian, for my loved ones. I mean, think about some of the loved ones in your family. How do you pray for them? How do you pray for them? God, I want you to try to work out something so I know you don't want to intrude in their life, Lord, and they have to come to this by their own free will and, and set it up in such a way that you would never intrude and you're Jesus the gentleman and, and you've got to get it all worked out perfectly. I don't think you pray that way. Here's how you pray. God, what? Save them. Intercept them. Stop them from running off the cliff into eternity. We've quoted Spurgeon a lot here. And uh, Scott did last night, and he kind of, did you notice he did? He kind of hid behind Spurgeon's tough one, so now I'm going to hide behind Spurgeon too. I liked what he did, so I'm stealing it. Spurgeon talked about this kind of prayer. Lord, I thank Thee I'm not like these poor, presumptuous, sovereign grace advocates. Lord, I was born with the glorious free will. I was born with power by which I can turn to Thee of myself. 
I have improved my grace. If everybody had done the same with their grace that I have, they might have been saved. Lord, I know that Thou dost make us willing if we're not willing ourselves. Thou givest grace to everybody. Some do not improve it, but I do. There are many that will go to hell as much as bought with the blood of Christ as I was. They had as much as Holy Ghost given to them. They had as good a chance and were as much blessed as I am. It was not thy grace that made us to differ. I know that it was a great deal. Still, I turned the point. I made use of what was given to me and others did not. That's the difference between me and them. You know what Spurgeon said? That's the prayer of a devil. That's the prayer of the devil. Have you ever met anybody that said, I've come to Christ apart from the Spirit? Who gets all the praise with sovereign regeneration? No wonder, listen, listen to Peter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is ready to exalt the Lord according to His great mercy. And now listen, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. You are caused to be born again. Did you get that? Cause to be born again. It is something that's done to you. And instead of saying, God, how could you? You're messing around. I need my free will. I don't like that. This is not how it goes. I've got to cooperate. I've got to let you. I've got to be with you. Peter does what instead? God, you're great. I praise you. You have caused me to be born again. That's how we should respond. But deep down, there's something in us. It's like Peter Kreft said. It's the Godfather, not God the Father, who makes you an offer you can't refuse. Jesus was not embarrassed by this doctrine. He taught it. In Matthew 11 it says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And then the gospel message goes out in terms of response to the gospel. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He talks about the utter sovereignty of God. You can't come to Jesus unless He allows you to, and then He calls for you to come. And we need to get wrapping this up. Matthew did say, I'm going to take him at his word. I could go till 1130. Because I said, can I go to 830? And he goes, you can go to 1130. I mean, we've got to get these grace people taking care of the kids a little bit and earn their salaries and stuff. <laughs> By the way, do you see their faces? They were so happy to serve you. Make sure when you pick up your kids, say thank you. Because what a dear group of people. Number six. Is there a human response to the sovereign, regenerating work of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes. It's faith. It doesn't precede it, but there is a response. God doesn't believe for you, dear friend. God doesn't repent for you. The new birth precedes our believing, but we still believe. Verse 14, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. I mean, if you're going to talk to the Jew of Jews, the teacher of teachers, you're probably going to talk about Ezekiel uh, uh, 
36, and you're also going to probably talk about numbers where this happened. Remember the story? We don't have time to look at it now. But those people were complaining against God. They were bitter against God. And God says, all right, I'm going to send snakes to bite them and they'll kill them. Can you imagine? I don't like poisonous snakes. I know your country doesn't want any poisonous snakes in it. Has there ever been a sighting of a poisonous snake ever in the history of your country? Somebody ever snuck one in? I don't know. Yes, they have? Okay. Pagans. And God gives this weird remedy. Who comes up with this? Make a snake. It's this unclean kind of looking, you know, unclean according to the Old Testament. And you put it up on a pole and uh, you look at it. I mean, you want me to look at something? Look at me, I'm bit. No, no, you look at that, this unclean thing, it's lifted up, language of John chapter 12 and other places where the Son of Man must be lifted up. And it's lifted up, and you just look at it. Could my dad look for me? No, you have to look. Will it really work? Yes, one look. Take God at His word and look at this snake that's lifted up. Take God at His word and believe. What's the text say? That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. That's the weirdest thing I ever heard. That sounds like it's almost as strange as I would like to work my way to heaven, except my problem with trying to do works righteousness, it's like I'm climbing a ladder made of sand to the moon and I can't get up there. And at the top of that ladder of sand is probably a noose. And so if I can't work my way to heaven, what must I do? You just simply look at the Lord Jesus. The response to sovereign regeneration is looking, is believing, is trusting, is resting, is relying. And God the Father treats Jesus as if he's an unclean thing up on the cross. And you look and it's efficacious and it shouldn't work, but it's the divine remedy because it's a supernatural remedy. God just didn't say, well, there's sovereign regeneration, that's it. He said, Jesus said, he regenerates, the Spirit of God does, and your response is believe. Your response isn't obey. Your response isn't to deny yourself. Your response isn't to surrender everything. Your response is to believe. That's weird. And then it moves straight into maybe your favorite verse. For God loved the world in this way, that He gave His only begotten Son, that those believing in Him should not perish but have eternal life. I have to ask you, friend, you can get all caught up in regeneration and everything else, but I can even bypass that and say, have you looked to the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted in Him? Have you said, I'm tired of looking to myself and my own sin and everything else, and I'm going to take God at His word? It seems like a strange remedy. It seems too good to be true. It seems that if I just simply look and believe and you save me, maybe I'm going to run into some kind of licentious sin afterward. This is the supernatural remedy. The brazen serpent couldn't heal when you looked at it, but God through His work and your response of looking could heal. But the Lord Jesus, He could heal. He was the divine remedy. The tie-in between Israel's, remedies and, and Israel's remedy and ours is wonderful. That is so unlikely. Look, but to look at the Lord Jesus, it saves. And it's by faith. It's by not working at all.
I mean, if you tell me to buy a relic, give it to the serpent, pray to the serpent, but no, it's look to the serpent. So I, I have the question for you tonight as we need to wrap up. If you struggle with evangelism, sovereign regeneration is your friend. And it's true anyway, even if you want to deny it. If you struggle with the truths of God, friends, join the club. I'm finite. I'm fallen. Of course, these things are of infinite value and of infinite degree. And for me to not be able to figure out every little thing, it's no problem. Sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Sovereign and regenerating, and you have to believe. Which one's true? Well, one of the writers in uh, current history said, R.B. Kuyper said, what you do is you take a rope. Let's say you have one rope. And you take a rope and you put it over a pulley. And let's say that pulley goes all the way up into heaven so you can't see the pulley. But it's one rope coming down like this. And if you jump on the sovereignty of God with both hands, what happens? Right? I never thought I'd say that from the pulpit. <laughs> if you grab on responsibility, the belief is if it's all sovereignty and there's no call to believe, that's not going to work because there's something more taught in Scripture. That's the cause. But the effect is this side. And if you grab on responsibility, well, God, you have to stay. I have to give you permission and don't embark you know, upon my free will and you stay over there. But if you grab both because both are taught in Scripture, you're going to be fine. And you say, I can't connect them. Well, they're connected in God's mind or they don't have to be connected in yours. I preach the sovereignty of God in salvation and I preach you must believe. How do you reconcile those? I don't have to reconcile them because they're not enemies. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking, you know, I just can't get my wine, my, my, my wine mapped around it. <laughs> the great news, even when the preacher's tired, the word's powerful, right? <laughs> I can't get my wine mapped around it. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, just submit yourself to biblical truth. You cannot deny Jesus just got done teaching the sovereignty of the Spirit, and He does whatever He wants as often as He wants, whenever He wants. You can only see His effects. And He's also taught that you have to believe. But this one comes first because you don't have it in you to believe unless this one's first. So just enjoy it. Embrace it. Submit and just say, you know what? I'm so happy because I can call people to believe and they never will unless the sovereign spirit regenerates. And then they always will. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Spirit. Friends, you're not even saved because of your faith. Did you hear me? You're not saved because of faith. You're saved because of divine mercy and love. You're saved through faith. Because of faith is actually a heresy. Through faith 
gives honor to God because faith is not meritorious. Faith doesn't do anything. Faith receives what God has done. He saved us. And by the way, for the rest of your life and eternity, you will be singing the praises of sovereign grace, so you might as well get used to it now. And I'm not kidding. You will not be singing the praises of your free will in heaven. It will be to God be the glory. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. R.C. Sproul said, God's favorite doctrine is the sovereignty of God. And if you were God, it would be your favorite doctrine too. (laughs) The utter sovereignty of God where He does whatever He wants. Friends, preach the gospel. Lavish it on people. And pray at the same time that God regenerates them so that they can believe. And then go home and sleep. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So freeing, so wonderful. Quit all your time trying to say, you know what, I'm going to push against it. I don't want it. I don't like it. Friends, I get it. But it is futile because you can't inform God. You're not his counselor. You can't tell him what to do. And instead of asking God all these questions, can I just say nicely? God had a lot of questions for Job too. And he just had to say, God, you're greater than I am and I submit. That's a better way to go, don't you think? Bow with me, please. Father in heaven, we acknowledge that by grace we're saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. Father, it is the gift from you and your Son and the sovereign application by the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for that. We're thankful that you pour out your grace richly upon us through Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit. I pray for every one of us today, and myself included, would you give us, even in the next week, someone we could tell the good news to. And Father, prick our hearts as we're preaching to them that we might silently be praying that their hearts might be opened like Lydia's heart like our hearts when it comes to the gospel. We acknowledge we contributed nothing to our salvation. And you did it all. Sovereign grace reigns. And Father, you're to be praised for that. And you have not made a mistake, including sovereign grace in the Bible and the work of your sovereign spirit. I pray for these dear people. Encourage them tonight. Give them rest and give them joy. They get to go to heaven based on the work of another. In his name we pray. Amen.